You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Phillips to Charteris, to Faletau, tackled by Zarzewski on the 22. This is Phillips, he's going to score a try! Welcome to the Attacking Scrum podcast, a Rugby World Cup special. This is where Welsh rugby matters. The Rugby World Cup is underway for everyone except Wales and Georgia, but we'll be previewing that game to get you in the mood. Despite not playing a game, there's been no shortage of drama for the Welsh. Assistant head coach Rob Howley been sent home amidst an alleged betting scandal. We'll be getting our teeth stuck into that and, of course, looking at what we've learnt from the opening weekend of the tournament. Joining me to do all of this, good friend of the show, rugby writer, author of Matthew Reese's autobiography, it's Craig Muncy. How are you doing, Craig? I'm very well, Jed. Yourself? Yeah, good, thank you. A little bit of, a little bit of fatigue from, uh, from getting up and nice and early every morning. But uh, other than that, yeah, d- doing very well. Good. Yeah, as you say, it's been an early start this weekend. Well, earlier than normal, but uh, enjoyable. So, uh, yeah, how much, how much you enjoyed uh, the opening weekend? What's kind of been the highlights for you? Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Uh, you know, Saturday you had, uh, obviously, the New Zealand game, um, which was a great game. Uh, the France-Argentina, the drama at the end of that one. Mm. Um, and the Fiji-Australia, I know, for, was it 60 minutes? You, you begin to wonder if there's going to be an upset. But uh, obviously Australia uh, managed to turn that around. But yeah, really enjoyable games, and obviously today as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before we get underway, quick word for our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. There's plenty of early starts during Rugby World Cup, and there's no better way to keep yourself awake than with a cup of So Coffee's Front 5 Blend. And speaking of front five, that is the first part of the show. Craig, I know you listen every week, so you'll be familiar with the way this new format works. We take a look at the five headlines from this week, and uh, really there's only one place to start. <laughs> Rob Paley sent home amidst an alleged breach of betting rules. No doubt, you know, you and the, the listeners will be familiar with this story by now, but this is the first podcast we've done since the story broke. Uh, did you think the days of scandal at World Cups and changes in coaches at short notice was over? Oh, no, no. <laughs> this <laughs> is Wales, isn't it? it? Yeah. Never far away, exactly. But, uh, yeah, when the news did break, it was, it was, it was a shock. You know, I don't think anybody saw it coming. Obviously, apart from those people, uh, far closer in, in the group than us. That's it. And the, you know, the, obviously we've got to be careful about this because it is, you know, nothing has been proven at this stage. And yeah, true. You know, obviously what, what we do know is that he's been sent home. I believe, um, BBC reported that the intelligence was fed to the WRU through a betting company themselves. So they kind of raised, uh, they raised the alarm. And to be fair to WRU, they've acted very, very quickly. Uh, it's in my understanding, you know, and they, they've sent Howley home and, and have flown Stephen Jones out very quickly. I guess the big question here is how much do you think this will disrupt the camp? 
Um, in a close group, aren't they? I, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. Um, really? Obviously, I, I, I personally don't think so. No, I know Rob Howley obviously has been with that group for quite a few years, and it, it's a we don't know, as you say, we don't know the full details. But it's, it's a shame for him for a, for his Welsh coaching career to end like this. But um, you know, Stephen Jones, you know, is quite a few of the Scarlet boys, and I'm sure he knows more of the of the bigger group as well. And I don't think it's be, be a huge issue. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, I guess from a from a coaching point of view, you'd imagine everything is is in place. You know, they've been they've been training together for a number of months now, so I can't imagine that that Steve-O is going to come in and make a a huge amount of changes. Certainly in time for the for the Georgia game. Nor do I think he's he's likely to rock the boat too much, just because no. there's there's been that much preparation gone in. I just wonder whether it's it's the kind of distraction that that Gallon would have been looking to avoid. Yeah, certainly would have. You know, he would have had to be happening on the eve of a World Cup, but obviously, you know, it was out of his hands. And you know, as you say, we're all going by alleged um, reaches at the moment, mm. so I'm sure we'll know more over, over the coming days. But um, yeah, it's not ideal. But I, I, I really don't see having a big factor. I think the boys just want to get out there tomorrow and, and, and get their World Cup underway. And I'm sure, um, you know, they're chomping the bit and ready to go. So. Is there any coach, you know, this, this is something I was thinking about. Is there any other coach you'd actually want in charge in this kind of a situation than Gatland? Because to me, you know, I think he's used to dealing with <laughs> off, off the field distractions. You think back only as far as the Six Nations and there was all the, the infighting and the supposed rumours of the Ospreys being wound down and all this kind of stuff, which was only a few days before the crucial game against Scotland. So mm. to me, I personally think that he's exactly the coach you'd want in this kind of scenario. What's your take on that? Yeah, I'd agree on that, Jed. You know, he's he's proved time after time, hasn't he? Not just for Wales, but um, you know, he's ever coaching duties as well. Um, you know, he's a strong character. Uh, you can take it on the chain, and uh, I'm sure he's got the boys around him, and you know, he's got leaders in that group as well. And uh, you know, going back to to what I said originally, I, I don't think it's gonna have a huge impact. Mm. I will be honest. Did you see any of the the kind of the press conference that that came out the day after the news broke? I only saw a little bit of it, so yeah. um, I, I haven't seen a huge amount. I saw a couple of the interviews with with um, with John Davis and Dan Bigger in particular. And, you know, I think it was really important because I imagine in these kind of circumstances, you could say, and I'm, I'm guessing here, but I imagine you could say that they're not sending out any players and it will just be the, the management to speak. And mm. I was really kind of impressed, particularly with Dan Bigger, the way he came out and, and handled that in a very kind of matter of fact way. Kind of like we've just been saying, really, that, yeah, of course, it's a shock. It's not ideal, but we just want to concentrate on the rugby and that's what we intend to do. And that is, a, you know, is that kind of level of maturity and that kind of leadership that I think is exactly what you want from your senior players in those scenarios. Yeah, I agree with that. I saw the interview with Ken Owens and, and you know, and he was pretty much saying similar things going mm. by what you said there. So, um, you know, we, we've got a lot of experience in that group, haven't we? You know, when you think about other people like Alan Wynne-Jones as well. You know, Tipperick has won a number of caps, Jonathan Davis. So, yeah, we got, we got people there who I don't think will panic, you know, with that, with that, with that news that broke. Um, and, and I expect them to, to carry on you know, and, and hopefully get the job done. Cool. Well, later on, we're going to be looking at that Wales team to face Georgia and previewing the game. But for headline two, we're going to have a look at Pool A. So Japan off to a winning start, albeit not too convincing, while Ireland battered Scotland this morning. How impressed with Ireland were you first up, Craig? Yeah, they played very well. Um, you know, there was obviously some doubts about uh, the line-out, and that, mm. that, went, that went great. There was, there was no issues there whatsoever. Obviously, the scrum, there was a few doubts about that. Um, ball carrying, you know, with, with the back row, being able to get over the game line. And I, I thought CJ Stander was, was, was outstanding. Um, His best game for, for quite a while, actually, didn't he, in an Ireland shirt? Yeah, he was excellent. You know, even when he moved across, when um, Manny had to go off, you know, and Conan came on, and I rigged Jack Conan as well. Mm. He's a very good player. But yeah, I thought I thought Stander was excellent. Yeah, I, I thought Ireland played very very well. You know, the, the, the line speed in defence was outstanding. Um, but I, I was disappointed in Scotland. I will be honest. But um, you know, the questions by Ireland. Yeah, I, I was impressed. What went wrong for Scotland? I, I just thought they were, they were trying to play too soon. Mm. Um, you know, I, I thought they tried to play from everywhere, and you know, the, the outside backs for Ireland were up quick, and Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg are their two main playmakers. Like, they were catching by in the game line all the time. 
And I thought they were very slow to adapt Scotland. I, I thought they had to straighten up a bit more and get runners off Russell more direct. And, and it didn't really happen. Uh, and unfortunately, in the second half, you know, the, the rain came and obviously that wasn't ideal game, um, weather when you're, when you're chasing a game. But, um, yeah, I, I just thought they weren't getting over the game line. And, uh, and I just thought they seemed to be lacking ideas. You know, it just didn't work as far as I was concerned, in that particular game. Yeah, I, I think Ireland's, Ireland's kind of defence nullified them pretty easily. They had, there wasn't too many opportunities where you thought, oh, there's an opportunity to break the line here. And they kind of resorted to, to kicks over the top from, you know, Hogg did a lot of kicking today. He there did, a lot of yeah. kicks in behind from Hogg. And I think that's, that's not necessarily a good sign when you're looking, it almost felt like they'd run out of creativity. They were going left and right, very lateral stuff. And then either Hogg or Russell was putting a kick through. And a lot of that in the second half. I know the, the weather wasn't ideal, but at the same time, when you're chasing the game, and you're kicking away ball. That probably should have been what they were looking at in the first half rather than when they were, you know, when they were two, three scores down. So it really was disappointing for Scotland. They, they really do seem like a different side away from Murrayfield, though. They do, yeah. And, you know, the argument with Scotland has always been, you know, have, have they got enough up front and have they got enough ball carriers? And, and I think that question is still out there. Um, you know, I thought Blake Thompson did well when he came on, mm. but the, you know, the game was done and dusted by then, wasn't it? Obviously, a loss of Hamish Watson, you know, I haven't heard any news yet about the injury, but it didn't look good, did it? So um, Instantly, as soon as it happened, you looked at that. And, well, I did anyway. I looked at it and thought, oh, that's the, that's the end of his tournament. Yeah, you certainly thought that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. You ho- uh, hopefully it's not the case, but it, it certainly didn't look like a good one. The intriguing move for me there was that they brought a hooker on in the back row rather than bringing Blade Thompson on. Yeah, I thought it'd be strange. Obviously, you know, they, they say in commentary that Fraser Brown's been playing um, mm. in the back row in training, but you know, that's training, isn't it? You know, it's over a World Cup, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and Blade Thompson, well, John Barkley, you know, made his career as a seven, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. You know, so I was, I was, li- I was surprised by that and, you know, it, it, it didn't work, did it? You know, look at the scoreboard. You know, I, I, I'm not blaming Fraser Brown, but it, it, for me, he didn't really have any impact on the end. I, I, I rate him as a hooker, mm. but, um, yeah, I, I, I do think that's a strange decision. I, I think the, the breakdown was so key as well because Ireland had, had it all their own way. And when they do that, they're a very, very hard side to beat. You know, whether it's Ireland or Leinster, when they get quick ball, they're a, they're a hard side to beat, but there were some real fundamentals, you know, the pick and drives they were gaining so much so much yard very very easily and there was a couple of occasions where they just you know there's that one where Stander just flew straight through the middle of the ruck because there were no guards in place and I just think you know those kind of things bringing on a bringing on someone out of position into the back row I absolutely agree I'm not I'm not blaming Fraser Brown here but it, it can't have helped bringing someone who's, who's not who's not by trade a, a back row forward no no sorry it's just how they're rolling their dice really. I think it was just mm. you know Desperate measures, almost. You know, like, let's try and fool them and try try something different. And and yeah, I I was I was really disappointed in Scotland. You know, the the Conway try, uh, the, the defence is just dismantled, hasn't it? I know yeah. it's late in the game, and you know maybe their heads are down because they can see this, you know, the the game is, is more than slipping away. But yeah, I just I just thought it was just it, it just didn't work. It just did not work at all. So uh, back to the drawing board there for for Townsend and uh, the players and the coaches and. Let's see what they come up with for the next game. Japan win, as we said in the, the kind of the intro to this this segment of the show, not massively not massively convincing. Is that just opening night nerves? Yeah, you know, obviously the, the Japanese, you know, the country and the players have been, have been waiting for this moment, haven't they? And um, as again, I didn't see a huge amount of this game, yeah. but um, you know, I saw the highlights, and you know, by all accounts, you know, Russia really. Stuck in there and, and gave her everything because you know, it's a huge thing for them, isn't it? You know, being the opening game for a World Cup as well. So um, I, I was expecting a Japanese win, but I was expecting a few more points difference of what actually happened. Mm. So uh, you know, let, let's see how they go in the next one. But you know, for a host nation to win the first game is huge, isn't it? So uh, at least they, they they avoided that loss. It is, and and in a way, <laughs> you know, the, the way the schedule is having Russia first up as good an account of themselves as they gave. That was a that was really a gimme of a game for Japan. You know, they were always likely to win that one. And I suppose it helps them to get that, to get that win under the belt and, and get the nerves and the, the, the weight of the expectation out of the way. But yeah, they'll, they'll have to play better if they're, if they're likely to get out of this group. The thing I would think for, for Japan and 
in fact, for Samoa, is taking a look at Scotland. I think both these sides should be should be really kind of geared up to thinking we're not here to make up the numbers. We've got a big opportunity to get out of this out of this pool. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, if if you were in you know those groups watching that game, you'd think you'd fancy chances because, mm. um, as I say, Scotland were poor. Um, hopefully, for their sake, I hope just a bad day at the office. But um, yeah, Samoa and Japan, you know, they, they must be looking at and, and looking forward to and, and hoping they're next up, you know, and have a crack at them. Yeah, I, I mean, right now, if Scotland play that badly again, they won't get out of the pool because I don't think what they showed against Ireland would be enough to beat either of those sides. Admittedly, Japan won't bring as much of a of a physical threat up front as Ireland will, but Samoa certainly bring plenty of physicality all across the pitch. And I, I just feel like if you, if you make that many errors and you're that void of any kind of imagination and cutting edge, then I think, you know, I think they're really going to struggle. So Scotland have really got to up their game, but I think both those, both those sides will be, will be really fancying it. Who do you see getting out of the group though? Well, I said before the tournament started, I, I thought it'd be Ireland and Scotland, but, mm. um, you know, but based on that, I, I, I fancy Samoa to, uh, to turn over Scotland, especially if if they, if they can't gain any momentum up front or they can't get over that game line, then you know, Samoans are going to love it. You know, if they're lined up on slow ball, the ladle flicking onto Russell and trying to flick out the back, the outside backs, mm. the, the the Lilos of this world, they, they're going to be they're going to be relishing that. So um, yeah, so Samoa have got a great shout against them, and, and I think Japan could scare them as well. But um, I'm just hoping it's a bad day at the office because you know I would like to see Scotland in the quarters, but. Uh, Yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's really interesting because Scotland, Scotland aside, I love I love watching generally speaking, and I'd almost say Scotland would be my would be my second side, but at the same time, I I do love an underdog story, and the the opportunity for for Japan or Samoa to get out of the group, I think, would be good for the world game to yeah, see yeah. those sides progressing. Because what we want in you know in four, eight, twelve, twenty years time is you want to be looking at the pools, thinking right, which sides are going to get out of these out of these pools? Because I think really. You know, the, the England side, the England pool is perhaps t- was perhaps tough to call on paper. This one, you might look at the New Zealand pool is, is an absolute yeah exactly for those two yeah. sides. And you know, okay, you know, Wales won't be taking Fiji for granted as we'll we'll come on to later on. But the more opportunity there is for for sides to turn up and and have a genuine chance of getting out of the pool, I, I think this would be a big a big story for Tier Two nations if they're a, if one of those sides is able to pull it off yeah you know the host nation in particular if, you know mm-hmm. they can get in the knockout stage that'll be huge for rugby in japan as well wouldn't it so um i think i think it's gone and played japan last i think that's they how do, it works yeah. out so uh, that, that could be that could be an absolute hell of an occasion couldn't it so it could be right let's have a look at pool b for headline number three so italy beat namibia this morning uh, this is sunday as we record it obviously and i suppose the most anticipated game of the weekend the all blacks came out on top Start with New Zealand. How impressed with them were you? Yeah, you know, I, I thought South Africa might nick this one. Uh, you know, she should never write off New Zealand is the, is the lesson, isn't it, really? Um, they were excellent. Mm. You know, the, you know, when they took the, the opportunities they had, they just took them, you know, and some of those tries were outstanding. Um, yeah, I was very impressed by them. But I thought South Africa, you know, they came back very well in the second half, you know, and, and again... As you say, those two are definitely going to go through. Uh, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if they met again in the final. You know, I, I, I think they're two very, very strong sides. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. It could have been different for South Africa too. You know, there's even little things. The game almost, to me, I know this wasn't the the uh, the deciding factor, but the momentum seemed to change when Pollard hit that penalty against the post. Yeah, you just thought that was a little sign of nerves and. The fact that there was a lot of expectation on South Africa, and I, as well as they played, there were some very simple things that they got wrong at the wrong time. You know, you think that Willie Larue pass, if he gets it right to Cheslin Colby, he's in. Again, yeah. massive momentum shift, and New Zealand really probably turned it on, turned on the style for 15 minutes of the game, but that was enough to that was enough to put it out of sight. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I thought Pollard was was quite quiet, um, you know, mm. based on his you know, his previous performances over the last twelve months or so. He's been absolutely outstanding. Um, I don't think he had his greatest game uh, on Saturday, mm. um, 
But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, the Willie Rudu one, if he puts down his hands, he's over, isn't he? You know, that's, just, that's seven points. Um, but um, yeah, New Zealand, uh, you know, they just take their chances, don't they? That back three was excellent. Um, you know, and, and the pack, you know, they fronted up even about Retallick being there. So um, yeah, I, I was impressed. Um, and, and like I say, you know, it's, it's a game that both of them go through, but it'll be interesting now to see. You know, the fact that one you know, looks like South Africa or will be South Africa will go mm. into the one half of the draw and using in the other half. So, what do you do now if you're if you're both those sides? Because you know, do you look to keep a bit of consistency in the the, the team selection, or do you look to? I think particularly South Africa where they've lost. You know, would you look to keep that side relatively speaking the same, so a few players can go out and and get a win under their belt, or do you look to do you look to rotate and, and keep your crucial players fresh and and ready for, for quarterfinal rugby? I know this sounds premature, but really looking at that group, those two sides have to be progressing out of the group. Yeah, I agree. You know, they're through, aren't they? You know, I know they've got games to play, but I just don't see any upsets coming at all from that group. Um, it's, a, it's a tricky one, that one. You know, obviously, with the, the, the games pre-World Cup, you know, I, I probably rested a couple of Welsh players that didn't get rested. You know, mm. it's, it's an age-old argument, isn't it? Do you want to keep them ticking over or do you want to keep them wrapped in cotton? Will you keep players? So it's a difficult one. You know, I, I think personally, if I was South Africa and New Zealand, I, I would love to rest one or two players, give a couple of guys runs out, you know, let, let, let them play on a World Cup stage and see how they do. OK, um, so just a quick finishing note on this pool with Italy. It's very difficult, as we say. What, what do you think would be a good showing for Italy in this tournament? Well, obviously Namibia, you know, we, we expect them to win now, and they did. So that'll, that'll be good for their confidence. You know, I, I think they've, they've just got to give everything they've got against New Zealand and South Africa, you know, and try and get as close as possible, which might sound a bit uh, defeatist. Mm. But, um, you know, they're a decent side, Italy. They've got some good individual players. But, um, you know, I, I personally, I think to ask them to even get close to an upset is, is asking a little bit too much. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, What's going to happen with uh, the coaching role in, in Italy? Because the rumour was Howley, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Which, so, uh, know, obviously, a, inter- a real spanner in the works with regards yeah. to that. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I suppose just touching on the, the coaching thing there, it's, it'll be interesting for Conor O'Shea because he's held in a you know, really high regard, I think, by most players who, who played under him. And he's made a positive impact at a lot of the sides He's been obviously winning silverware with Quinns, and he, there has been the the odd win for for Italy during that time. I suppose most notably over South Africa actually during his tenure. But as yeah, he fi- as he finishes as coach, it's difficult to see what would be a what would be a kind of a good ending for him. And I, I think you're right; it, it comes down to how competitive they can be against these two very very good sides. Yeah, you know, he has brought some some really good players through the system, hasn't he? You know, we think like the Melzi and um, Negri on mm. on the flank and Pelledri. I, I know I've lost, but have a huge hand to have played in that. But um, you know, they, they've, they're getting a, a stronger squad. Um, but um, yeah, you know, to take on a New Zealand, South Africa, and really push them, I would. You know, if they can if they can get within you know, after sixteen minutes, they must be within ten fifteen points. I, I would say as a that's a that's a big tick, you know, in in uh, in O'Shea's coaching box. Right. Well, we still got loads to get through, and we'll be doing that very very shortly. But before we do this very quick break, I'm Sam Warburton, and you're listening to the Attacking Scrum. Welcome back to the Attacking Scrum. Still got two headlines to get stuck into. Plus, we've got a few listeners' questions at the end of the show. Um, a quick reminder, if you've not listened to our podcast with Sam Warburton, then that is available right now. So be sure to give that a listen during Rugby World Cup 2. Really enjoyed doing that one. Right then, Craig, let's, let's finish off on, the, um, on the, the two remaining headlines in front five. Pool C, England sneak a bonus point late on. France hold on to beat Argentina. Start with England. Never looked like losing, but they weren't particularly fluid today. How much should we read into that performance? Yeah, you know, in commentary and you know the the pundits back in the in the studio were were saying how professional it was and mm. they got the job done, which 
you know, look at the score, but they did. Um, but I, I was expecting a little bit more, I will be honest. Um, I know it's the opening game, um, so you know, they're still building their way into it. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I was expecting um, a bit of a wider scoreline, if I'm, if I'm honest. But, um, you know, Tualangi was, was on fire, wasn't he? You know, so, which was a bit ominous for, uh, for other teams coming up in the World Cup. But, um, yeah, what do you think? I, I, I thought it was a decent performance, but I didn't think it was anything more than that. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I, I, it wasn't massively impressive. I think Tonga turned up and had their best game for quite some time. I mean, this is a, a pretty poor Tongan vintage, if I'm honest. And I, I thought they, they turned up and gave a good account of themselves. As I said in the, in the intro line, never looked like, like winning it. But they, they did did well. And obviously they were going out to do what? To live up to that Tongan cliche of hitting very hard. Now, I thought England dealt with that pretty well. They got the bonus point. It was a bit later than they would have than they would have hoped, I mm. would say. You know, that, that kind of kept them sweating. If I'm honest, I wouldn't read too much into it. I think this is it. They've got it done. It's out of the way. I'm inclined to think like that. It wasn't a great performance, but these things are, these things are often forgotten later on down the line. They've got bigger games to come against France and Argentina and then presumably a, a quarter final thereafter. I certainly wouldn't be writing England off. I think the thing is they got through that game without any, without any injuries and, and so much for them hinges on keeping Vanapola fit. As you said, Tuilani, I think will, will cause trouble for, for any side he, he plays against. But I'm still not overly sold on their halfbacks in terms of winning the overall thing. I think as I, I said on a couple of podcasts, I think you need a pair of world-class halfbacks in order to do that particularly scrum half and I'm not sure whether Ben Young's as good a player as he is is quite in that that kind of world-class mode that that previous World Cup winning sides have had you know I don't think any side has won has won a World Cup without without a genuinely world-class number nine and that to me I I think is is perhaps the the area where there there could be a bit of a downfall you know in a, a game where they don't get quite as much front football What's the game plan going to be like if you can't get to a Lange into it? Then, you know, it comes down to the kicking game. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things, a lot of things to, to still for them to still work out. But, you know, if they, if they get it all to click, there's a frightening pack that they've got there. And not just big and strong, but the mobility of the two flankers, I think, is a real threat. And, you know, they've got, in terms of props, they've got a great mixture of gnarly old props and, and a couple of young dynamic players who can make a real difference too. So they've they've got a really, really strong squad. The question mark for England is whether they can turn it on when they have the, the biggest, most high pressure games. And they they're they're yet to come. So I, I you know, I certainly wouldn't be writing them off off the back of a you know, off the back of an a, a bit of a clunky victory. So I, I think for them it's job done and and move on to the next game against USA, which you know, might well be a, a similar thing, really. Yeah, as you say, I, I think the halfbacks, I still don't think um, they fully made their mind up on who's going to be the 10 as well. Mm. You know, it'd be interesting, like, when they play France, you know, which could, which will probably be, you know, the decider who's going to win that group, who goes at 10 in that game. You know, so that'll, that'll be an interesting call. I agree. I think Believe in Apollo is, you know, is, is a huge player for them. You know, he's, he's a huge man. He's a huge mm. player. Uh, you know, it was nice to see the, um, Tonga open side prim, prim back on his backside mind. Yeah, but see um, many do that. Yeah. Don't, don't see many at all, do you? But, uh, yeah, he, he, you know, he, he's, he's a huge player for them. And, uh, you know, if they can keep him fit and he can keep getting over that gain line, you know, it, it does make them a, a serious threat for, for most teams. France-Argentina, on the other hand, France looked electric for 40 minutes and I thought very flat for the second 40. <laughs> Which of those two halves do you think is, is the real France? <laughs> I think it's a mixture of the two, I think. Mm. Um, as you say, I, I, they, they got out of the traps and I thought, wow, you know, this, I wasn't expecting this. I was expecting a very close game, um, but I wasn't expecting France to, uh, to, to get out of the score like I did in the first half. Um, fair play to Argentina, they, they, they got themselves back into it, but yeah, France second half. You know, I'm not sure what happened there. Is it mentally switch off or is it fitness? I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I I don't think they're as good as the over 18 minutes they showed in that first half. But I think it's a mixture of the two, really. 
Yeah, I'd be inclined to inclined to agree with that. I, I said beforehand, I think the problem is is conditioning and fitness. To be fair, they didn't turn up. You know, I, I don't think there is an unfit side that they've only got 40 minutes in them, but no. they got flat-footed at the start of the second half and spent a lot of time defending. And I think by the time 60 minutes rolled around, they were pretty tired. And it was a... It perhaps wasn't the, the best-looking drop goal in the world, but it was something that, you know, it, that was enough to get them over the line. But only three points to show in the in the second half. They made yeah. it very, very hard for themselves. They certainly did. You know, first half, you know, Peno and uh, Intermac. Mm. You know, Fico was getting over that game line, wasn't he? And Fakatawa, a couple of little flick passes at the back. And, yeah, you, you thought they look they look really promising here. But uh, fair play to Argentina. You know, they got back into it. But, um, yeah, you know, Lopez, you know, as you say, it wasn't the, the prettiest of drop goals, but it got the job done, didn't it? So, uh, you know, fair play to them. It did. Argentina, I suppose, have it all to do now. Do you think they can still get out of this group? I personally don't think so. No, I, I thought that was a game. Uh, I think again they said it in commentary. I thought that was a, you know, that was a almost a knockout game. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I and I agree with that. Um, I think you know, obviously they're going to give England everything they've got. But um, no, I, I, for me, I think now, I, I, I think France will take the second spot and England will win the group. Interesting. Yeah. I, it, I mean, it is. It is. It's a disappointing one for them because they were just so poor in that first half. And I think defensively, you know, there was there was some good stuff from France, but other times there just seemed to be no shape to the Argentinian defence. And France were looking up and you know, a first second phase ball and they had three or four men overlaps and it was it was a really, really strange performance in the first half. And then come the second half, they just seemed to have this massive dominance at driving line outs and and that caused that caused a lot of problems. So yeah, they're, they're going to they're gonna have to have an almighty game to beat England. I think, yeah, I think you're probably right. It's going to be a step too far for them. But yeah, it, you know it, that that for them is a is, is going to be a, a really tough task. And it did feel like a quarter final yesterday. Yeah, it's, it's a strange, wasn't it? Because you know, Argentina have been on a really poor run, you know, for quite a few months now. But um, when we look at that team. I think it's thirteen um, of the Jagari's. T- uh, Players in that yeah. in that squad in our team, you know, and they're starting fifteen. So, you know, you wonder what you know, they, they did look disjointed. They, you know, there was some stepping up, some were stepping back, and it was a, it was a strange first half, very very strange first half. I, I suppose that would be the one thing that gives them hope is the form of the Jaguars this year that they might just have one almighty game in them, and if it happens against England and England have an off day, then then all of a sudden things. You know, things can change. So they, they just have to set themselves up for that. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly didn't, it certainly was that, that first 40 minutes was, you know, could have been enough to, to kill their, their whole World Cup campaign. So they've got absolutely everything to do now. Pool D to finish on the last of the, the last of the front five headlines. So Fiji started strongly, but Australia showed their, their class towards the end. Wales, of course, get underway on um, on Monday, which will be today as you're listening to this. We'll talk about that in a moment. Did you see enough from Fiji to worry Wales? I think you kicked the ball loose. <laughs> yeah, I think you know, if we kick it too long and kick it straight down their throat, there's a problem there. But, um, you know, I think, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this before we start recording. Um, you just got to keep it tight. Mm. You, you've got to keep it tight against Fiji and, you know, go for the phases and, you know, and, and don't go too loose. It's, don't get dragged into it. Um, you, you know, it could be that Australia want to play a little bit looser to try and tie up the Fijians. I, I don't know, but um, I, I just, I just wouldn't give them any. Don't give them as much any ball, just especially you know, on broken play. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. The, the thing that I saw from Fiji that would that would be the, the major worry to me was the amount of ball that they stole off Australia, actually. You know, there was eight or nine turnovers did, yeah. during the game. Yeah. And, and I, I felt for their back row, you know, <laughs> when they were defending really hard and produced a turnover, their nine put in box kicks that were, you know, <laughs> that were going seven or eight yards. And you thought, oh God, you may as well have just given them the ball back for that. But that, that would be the bit that I think would be potentially a bit of a concern and, and Wales are going to have to fly into those rucks. I think it helped that, Ben O'Keefe had a pretty poor game from a refereeing point of view. And we were kind of chatting about this off air. The referees have come in for some flack in this opening weekend. What's your assessment been of the officiating? 
Yeah, it's been, it's been a few games where I, I think the offside rule seems to have gone mm-hmm. out the window. Um, you know, they're, they're stepping up. You know, the, 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 you know, the French game, the French, like, Pika Moles is miles yeah. offside. You know, at a key moment as yeah, well. Yeah, hugely offside. Yeah, you know, that, that, you could see that sat, you know, watching the TV. That's it. We, we, yeah, we, it was we it in the pub. I mean, that's, that's offside, <laughs> right. that's offside. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's so frustrating that that's, that's not picked up. Yeah, that's, it's not being picked up at all, which, you know, is, is stopping the, the backs and the open play and the, the, the attacking rugby that we we're looking for, really. So, um, hopefully they'll, they'll tied up on that. The breakdown is, is all over the place as well at the moment. Mm. There's people, there's people diving in from all angles yeah. and, People being held, being stopped to actually get get to the ball as well to compete. So um, you know the, the, the three have got to work together and their two assistants and the referee. You know, there's, there's got to be more work on that. But um, yeah, as we were saying, for me, for me, I almost think offside is so easy to police from a from a touch judge point of view. That you would think you would, so, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. That if if you can kind of take that away from the ref, and it's it's your responsibility to call those to call those offside calls. And I think almost like if you're pinging someone fairly early on, then they, they stop doing it and you have a much better game as a result. And yeah. that frees up the referee to, to kind of police the breakdown, which, you know, which again, as you, as you kind of said, there is a mess. So hopefully that will get better as the, the tournament goes on. What about Australia? Any signs of weakness from the Australian side? I thought, I thought it was a decent performance overall, but, um, you know, I, I again, I, I don't think Wales got anything to fear based mm. on that performance. You know, I, I, I thought Kenya played very well when he came on. I thought I there was so, far yeah. more control. I thought it was far more control at nine. I'm still not completely bought on Lefano at ten. I will be. I think he's a good player. I think he's I'm good not sure inside centre to me. Yeah, I don't need a test ten. So, um, you know, and obviously the fact that Israel Falau did what he did, he's not there. I have lost them as well. You know, the back three is certainly not as dangerous when, when he's not there. So, um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was a decent performance, but um, you know the, the scrum looked good at times against Fiji, but mm. I, I, I don't know how how good the Australian scrum is based on that either. So um, yeah, again, the, the result was there. You know, they, they must have had a bit of a shock in that first half. You know, Reese Hodge got bounced I don't know how many times by the Fijians in the first twenty odd minutes. So um, well, including one that's got himself in a spot of bother, and I think he's been cited, hasn't he, for. Uh, for the kind of the shoulder charge tackle on on the Fijian open side, which is which caused the caused the kind of the the head injury assessment. So you know he I don't know he could be in a, he could be in a spot of bother there, um, which again would make for a bit of a selection headache for uh, for Michael Checker. Yeah, it's going to be interesting that because you know that the Yasu, the open side, the captain was on the stormer. Mm, he was, uh, you know, and he's gone down that down the touchline and Reese Hodge. I don't think he's any malice in it. I just think he's trying to protect himself. He's bounced four times. And he yeah. doesn't want it to happen again. But um, you know, there's no arms whatsoever. Is there? He's no. pretty shoulder into him. So um, you know, it was, it was a big loss for Fiji. And yeah, yeah. I, I expect him to pick up a ban for that. I will be honest. So so that'll be interesting. It will be. I, I, something else that, that intrigues me as we start to talk about Wales now is is the weather, which we've seen, um, which we've seen kind of cause effect in a, in a few games. I suppose most notably the the Ireland Scotland game. I just yeah. wonder whether that might have something to play next Sunday as we face Australia. I actually t- took the liberty of googling. Uh, Tokyo, the, the Tokyo weather for, <laughs> for next weekend. I think, we I think I'm right in saying the Tokyo Stadium doesn't have a roof on it. Um, right. it's, it's, it is supposedly at this stage uh, set to rain. And I just wonder okay. whether that might play into Wales' hands a little bit with bigger, at, with bigger at 10 and his ability to cause trouble under the high ball and, and really place those, you know, place those fantastic kicks with, with loads of air on them and, and try and rein a bit in on the back three. Yeah, you know, I, I would think that would be a, a, a good result for us if it's raining. Um, I, I don't think Australia is as strong up front as we are. Um, and, and yeah, you know, with, with Bigger and, and those high kicks and his ability to be able to reclaim, you know, and, and the, the back spin he puts on the ball as well, you know, his rainy conditions plus mm-hmm. humid. Yeah, you know, back three players not going to be looking for relishing that, is he? So, um, yeah, I think that if that is the weather next uh, next week, I, I think that could be a plus for us. Watch it, watch <laughs> this place. Right. Yeah, regular up, regular updates on the weather. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Before that, of course, we've got the game against Georgia. 
And let's start by having a look at the Wales team, which they named yesterday. So Wynne Jones starts in the front row alongside Ken Owens and Tom Francis. The second row, Jake Ball and Alan Wynne Jones, who of course captains the side. Aaron Wainwright, Justin Tipperick and Josh Navidi in the back row. Halfbacks of Gareth Davis and Dan Bigger. Josh Adams and George North on the wing with Hadley Parks, John Davis in the centre and Liam Williams at fullback. And then the replacements of Elliot D, Nicky Smith, Dylan Lewis, Aaron Shingler, Ross Moriarty, Thomas Williams, Reese Patchell and Halfpenny on the bench. Any surprises there for you? Um, not, not really. I, I thought um, Ross Moriarty might go run out. Mm. So I, I, I don't think he's been on the boil um, for Wales. But, so I thought they might have given him a run out in that one. Um, you know, Wynne Jones is, you know, he's, he's a... His profile has been raised, hasn't it? Yeah. You know, the, the way he went in the warm-up games, he, he seems to have the number one shirt at the moment. You know, it's on rights, you know, on merit. So, um, so that'll be interesting to see how he goes. You know, because the Georgians, uh, you know, Graham Rounchie is their, is their forwards coach as well. I'm sure they're going to they're gonna look at the scrimmage as much as possible. So, no, I, I, I'm not that surprised as I say by the, those one or two really. Is it the side? Yourself? Is it the side you would have gone for? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I suppose that the potential eyebrow raiser is Moriarty. I think you know, Win Jones. I, I think you're right. Is there on merit at the moment, and particularly against Georgia, where you're going to need to put in a strong scrummaging performance? I wouldn't be surprised if if Gatlin hands in the jersey and says, "Look, go out there, put in a good performance, and it'll be yours against Australia," which is a big incentive. Now. The rest of the side, we know that second row, we've got injury problems, so they're really the only two fit second rows. Yeah, there's worry me a little bit. Not so much for this game, but for the Australia game, I am going to be nervous about that. Yeah, I mean, Corey Hill is supposedly set to be in contention, but won't have played a a minute since since the England game, so that's going to be... That that, that is a concern. And, Mm. you know, Shingler is is there as as cover. I think if everything goes according to plan, Alan and jones will be will be whipped off and, and wrapped in cotton wool fairly early on, uh, you know, kind of providing there's, there's no major, uh, major drama with regards to the scoreline. But, you know, that's, that's what you, that's what you'd hope to be doing. Uh, yeah. And then I suppose the back row Moriarty is, is perhaps the one, the one slightly contentious call. I, I think you're right. I think he's opted for the approach of come off the bench, make him a little bit angry Go out there and, and win win that jersey back because mm. I think he needs to keep the the kind of the competition in there because he's kind of had that had that eight shirt because no one else has been fit and the last few games it hasn't been particularly convincing so I just wonder whether they're trying to get a little bit of that old you know a bit of the dog out of Moriarty again a bit of that that wild animal that you see in him and I think if he if he's able to have a good impact off the bench then. He'll be back in that eight jersey against Australia, but he, you know he does need to win that jersey back. I think. Yeah, you're probably right. You no, know, Gatlin knows the play as well, doesn't he? You know, I remember when he played against England in Cardiff mm. that one game where he was smashing Nathan Hughes and others. You know, he was, he was absolutely superb that day. But um, he has been a little bit off the boil. The other one I think needs to have a big game is, is Tipperick. Yeah. O- only because if you are going to go with Moriarty, it's you know Wainwright is playing so well at the moment as well. So, you know, for me, you need Navidi in your back row. So, yeah, I'll agree. So, uh, yeah, so that, that, I think Tipperick, you know, it's a big game for him as well. You know, we, we all know what a class act he is. But, um, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see how it goes, how that back row does go. Yeah, it is it's a very interesting one. I hope, uh, yeah, hopefully we, we've got a, a selection dilemma of the right, of the right kind of, um, the right kind when it comes yeah. to the Australia game in that all four players have had a, have had a really good game. But, yeah, you know, it's, um, it is a tricky game, Georgia. I suppose it is certainly going to be a physical one. Anything else you're kind of expecting from this Georgia side other than, than the big, the big scrummaging? No, I think, you know, it's going to be a forward dominated performance from Georgia. You know, the, the scrum half is a decent player. I've seen him a couple of times, mm. um, play out in France. He's a good player. You know, the Kagodzes in the back row, you know, Mamuka's back. Um, and if, if we go, if we do move the ball out wide, I'm not sure he's going to be able to get to too many rucks. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think the Georgians are going to just try and use their power and, and try to overpower Wales. Would that be the game plan for you then to try and keep uh, keep the ball in play? I mean, Wales generally do keep the ball in play a lot, 
but is that the kind of game plan? Keep the ball in play, tire them out, keep it moving, uh, plenty of width and plenty of speed, move move the pack around. Yeah, I think so. I, I can see bigger, you know, putting boot the ball quite a bit, mm. you know, getting the defensive lineup, trying to get those turnovers or penalties. Um, yeah, I, I think we're going to try and play physically, but with a bit of pace and, and move them around, and as you say, try to keep the ball on, on the field. All right, and then prediction for this one, Craig. Don't necessarily need a don't necessarily need a score, but what are you anticipating on the on the board by the by the end of the? I, I've just asked you for a score, then I'm like, but anyway, <laughs> will Wales win this one? And and yeah, kind of what what do you expect to happen? Yeah, I, I, I expect Wales to win. Um, I think first 40, first 50 maybe will be reasonably tight, but I, I think we'll win by 25 plus points, which is, for me, is very positive. So yeah, <laughs> what's, what's your thoughts? Um, yeah, I think, I think Wales will win. I think something along the lines of 30 points to nine and it's something like that. I, I think we'll get the yeah. bonus point. I think, yeah, I think we'll get four tries and, uh, you know, a couple of a couple of other scores in there, and but you know, I, I think it'll be a t- I think it'll be a tough workout. We know that Wales are slow starters. I hope that that slow start has come in the form of the warm up games, and we've been kind of holding something back because you know I th- it, it is imperative now that, that Wales start turning up in these games, and it's such a big clash against Australia that you don't really want to be sweating on this for too long. Just go out, do what, do what we know they're capable of doing. I think an early score helps settle some nerves and, yeah. you know, whether that's, whether that's a try or a couple of penalties, just keep that scoreboard ticking over and, and make, you know, get that game won as, as soon as you can so that you can start hauling a few players off. And I know that sounds a bit disrespectful to Georgia, but really Wales, you know, have to have that ambition of, um, of, of putting them to bed and, and not making a not making a meal of it, the fitness and the class should should tell ultimately in this game. Yeah, I, I agree. Hopefully, uh, the, the boys can uh, get the performance right tomorrow. And uh, yeah, as you, you know, going back to what you said, yeah, I totally agree. You know, we want to get out of win off if we can on the fifty sixty minute mark. So uh, as you say, let's let's just get the, the job done and uh, get our bench out onto that pitch there. A couple of quick listeners' questions to finish with. Uh, one from our good pal, the mighty Murph. He says, does Paul C now, slightly mischievously, but does Paul C <laughs> now look like the group of death? Uh, you know what? I, I think it probably was anyway, to be honest. Yeah, I did see that tweet from uh, the mighty Murph, so I, I do have a chuckle. I read that. Um, yeah, it's, it's good about what you said, isn't it? I, I thought that was France-Argentina game. It was a knockout game. Um, so the fact that that game is now done and yeah. France have won it, I, 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 I think the group is done. You know, happy to prove wrong, but I, I, I think now that, that that's a that's done now. I don't see Argentina being able to get enough points in their remaining games. Yeah, as we said earlier, it does kind of seem that way. And then a, a brilliantly named, uh, I think, a relatively new listener of our Diego von Albatross, uh, <laughs> presuming not the great name, but I love name. it if it is, uh, says if Wainwright is uh, is kind of so highly rated and a quick learner, why don't Wales train him up as an eight as cover? I mean, I suppose time frame is the is the obvious answer for that in terms of this tournament. But do you think he's got the attributes to be a an international eight? Um, you know, he's, he's still learning his trades as an international rugby player, isn't he? Um, I think it'd be a big ask in, in a big game for that way for mm. him to play an eight for Wales right now. You know, from what you've seen and the attributes he's got, you know, I, I think it's a possibility. Um, you know, eight is a position. It would be nice to have one or two more options. You know, hopefully Faletau gets over his injury problems. He's back. Um, you know, Moriarty, Navidi. After that, he's struggling. I know Dan Baker is making a return, isn't he, for the Ospreys? But, yeah, um, I mean, he's, he's had the best he, part of three, you know, two and a half, three seasons, yeah, out, hasn't he? exactly. So, you know, you, you've got to give that lad time, you know, to get back. But, um, yeah, from what I've seen of, of, of Wayne Wright, and obviously you've seen far more than me as a Dragons fan, but uh, there is attributes there. You know, I don't see why he couldn't be an eight. I think at the moment he's a bit light, but, um, you know, I, I think he's a six right now, but who knows? Yeah, to me, he's a six. I think he is a six who could do a job as an eight in a in a club game. And, you know, he could probably do do a job at seven in a club game as well. You know, he's, he's played in various different positions in the back row for the Dragons. But to me, I think six is his best position because yeah, he's very athletic. He gets through a hell of a lot of work. Uh, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a good ball carrier, but he's you know, very quick as well. 
And mm. he does offer that all round, that all round work rate that I think a, a great six has. You know, I think perhaps his, his ball carrying isn't explosive enough to be an eight necessarily at this stage. And as good as he is at kind of slowing ball down, I don't think he necessarily wins enough turnovers that you need to do to be an international seven. So to me, I think six is his best position, but look, you know, eight, eight is a position we've, we don't have that, that depth in right now. And it's a, yeah, it's a, I, I think that is, that is something actually that you can't kind of understate going into this tournament. If we'd had Toby Falatau fit for this tournament, I think that would have just bought such a different dimension as well as Moriarty's covered that position for the best part of two seasons. As we've seen now, he's had that little, this, this little drop in form. And I just think that doesn't happen if, if Falata is there because there is no room for him to get complacent. And not that I'm saying he is getting complacent, but I think there's just, there is no let up whatsoever. And just having, having him in and around that squad, I think would have made a, a massive difference to the side, but it's not the case now. And, you know, there, there's still some great talent in that back row. So hopefully they're able to, they're able to, to find the, the right combination between the, between the, the individuals who are out there. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, Falato is a world-class player. We know that. Um, so it'd been great to have him in our squad. But, uh, you know, as you say, we are where we are. Um, so yeah, I think there's some big calls we made in that back row. So it's going to be interesting what happens tomorrow. Um, and then obviously the selection for the Australia game. Absolutely. And yeah, that brings us to a conclusion for this week. Uh, well, for, for this episode, rather, we will be back with more podcasts this week. We're hoping to get one out in the uh, in the aftermath of this game, too. So make sure you keep checking iTunes, Acast or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, because we're going to be trying to bring you uh, as much content and, and plenty of previews ahead of that Australia game, too. Craig's been great chatting to you. What uh, what have you got at the moment? We really enjoyed uh, really enjoyed. Smiler's book was that last year or this year? No, uh, it came out October. October last year, was it? So, last year, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, what uh, what else have you got in the pipeline? Well, I've started work on um, Steve Fenwick. His, his autobiography is due out uh, next year. So, um, gonna be also surprised if Steve didn't already have a book out. Yeah. So, um, so uh, yeah. So that, that's underway. So I'm enjoying catching up with Steve and uh, you know hearing his stories. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's been very enjoyable and uh, long may that continue. Good stuff. We'll look forward to that when that comes out, but I'm sure we'll chat to you before then. Thanks for chatting to us, Craig. Uh, Enjoy the game and thank you for listening. And we'll be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.